Ben, there's this guy, uh, Theseus. He's a hero. He journeys all over the world. He goes from Greece to Troy to Carthage. Might get up to the Iberian Peninsula. And he's in his ship the whole time. And you know how ships are. They just get damaged, you know? You run into some coral and a, a plank comes off. Or uh, you, you have to fight with some pirates and they bust up your, your halyard and you have to get a new one of those. At some point, Ben, Theseus has run out of original parts of his ship. Is it still Theseus's ship? That's a good intro. That's a good one. It's an. Is it still Theseus's ship? Is it still the same ship that left port? Is it still the same ship that left port? It's uh. I don't think so. I don't think it is. So when does it stop being that ship? Right. When does it... Is it halfway? Is it when it's... Is there some percentage? Or does... Or does the... Or does the act of Theseus piloting the ship, helming the ship, make it his ship? Does it... Is it the sum of its parts, or is it something larger than that? Is there some other force or idea of a ship, of Theseus's ship, that yeah. holds it all together? I think that's where I come down, is that Theseus's ship, it's not useful, really, to describe it only physically. Because if I said, you know... You know, if I just described the physical ship, I would say, here's this board and this board and this board, and then there's some other boards and all these boards. But that wouldn't mean anything until I say this is Theseus's ship. Right. Yeah, because you could even utilize, like, I, you could take that same construction and you could, I don't know why you do this, but you could flip it upside down and put it on land. And it would still be the same pile of raw materials. It would be the same, right. even the same pile of constructed materials molded in the same shape. And if he's not helming it on the water as his ship, it's there's, there's something, there's something that of that in that act that is, is adding something that brings the idea, brings the concept of Theseus's ship into existence. It wouldn't even be. It, it could even just, it's a pile of wood otherwise. All right, how about this one? The Enterprise D is orbiting Romulus. And uh, Picard has to go down and, and have a, uh, a meeting with the Romulans and avert galactic war. Mm-hmm. And he beams down. Mm-hmm. He steps on the pad. The computer memorizes how his molecules are arranged. Mm-hmm. Zaps it down the planet and then it makes... Some, and it puts some molecules in order. And now it steps Jean-Luc. Mm-hmm. Or is it? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's the ulti- that's, that's, uh, that's something that's been pondered since, uh, since we first saw the transporter on the, on, the de- on the Enterprise, right? Like, is it... Yeah, I wonder where Bill Irie would come down on this one. Uh, he, he's got deep thoughts on it. He, read a, he, uh, he asked me this question when I was, I don't know, 13. Um... <laughs> And he didn't have an answer at that time either. Uh, but yeah, the question, is it, uh, is it sending a copy of Jean-Luc down? Or is it literally destroying Jean-Luc Picard and reassembling those same molecules? And even if it does, even if it's doing that, even if it's the exact same molecules, is it still the same Jean-Luc Picard? It's still a valid question. It, is it the same molecules? Is that how a transporter works? Well, that's the question. Like, there's two versions. There's two theories out there of like how it could work. Like, is it is it disintegrating you and 
beaming, taking a be- taking all those molecules in a beam and literally right. beaming it down and then reassembling those same molecules? Or is it making a, a copy of you? And then, like you said, is it is it scanning you essentially and then uh, faxing you? to down to the right. uh, like to the uh, the surface of the planet and where a facsimile that is identical in every way but is not the same thing shows up right it has all of the same molecules arranged in the same order but i always imagined it worked uh, it sent information and then uh the the information was how to put together some molecules that look like john luke mm-hmm. there is something to like there's no guarantee that the same molecules exist on any given planet. Like, you know, like what if there's a planet that just like didn't have carbon or something, you know, like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. So, I, I'm assuming that it's like the replicator, you know, they just got like a big vat of mm-hmm. molecules or atoms or something that okay. they can just, you know, grab some matter and put it in a particular order. So it's, it's sending down, it's sending down the right Lego pieces and then it's, and it's got a map. It's got the build map attached into it, and so it'll it'll it doesn't matter what's what's available on the planet. We're gonna we're gonna ship you the right parts and build you on site. And, and I think if if I've always wondered about three D printing, like if you can get down to a sufficiently small scale, you could three D print literally anything in the entire world, right? Like assume you can three D print at the scale of an atom, mm-hmm. then you can just put atoms together however you want. Yeah. I mean, they're 3D printing meat these days, right? Like they're 3D yeah. printing protein strands. But yeah, you're right. The val- the question, is, are we a pile of, are we a pile of atoms or is there something more? Or, or it was, you know, is Descartes right? I think, and therefore I am like, is they, you know, is it, is it, did, uh, is there something more to us than simply the pile of matter that we happen to appear as? Can we evolve beyond the pile of matter and still be the same, the same entity? Could we, could we upload our consciousness to some other form and would we still be the same entity at that point? Would we still, would you still be Pat if you were, if you were some consciousness in the cloud or would you become something different? What is, who is Pat? All these things are worth pondering. See, I, I, I tend to come down when it comes to a ship as like, you know, what we're talking about really is the idea of the ship. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's all of its constituent parts have been replaced, we're still talking about a ship. Mm-hmm. But then I think, well, what if there is some disembodied consciousness? Is that me? And I'm like, fuck no. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, if it's just the idea of me, if anything that thinks it's me is me, that probably is me. Is a valid question then to also ask, is your definition of who you are, is the idea of you only defined by your perception of the idea of you? Or is the idea of you also influenced by my idea of you? Do Is Pat the idea only something that you are able to define or am I able to influence is, is my perception of the idea of Pat somehow influencing the true sense. I think that it's influencing it, but only in the, in, in like a very, uh, like literal sense, you know, mm-hmm. I think you're great. And so if you say like, Hey, try this, or, uh, I think that you should do that. I do it, you know? And so that changes who I am to some degree. You should listen. You should I watch this think... show. You should watch this show that right. I really like. Yeah. And then it changes my life. Right. But I don't think that that has a direct influence on my idea, my identity, mm-hmm. my thinking about who I am. I it's tend to... filtered through. It's already filtered through my thinking. And so it's just. I me. tend to agree. I tend like, to agree. You know, you know, I think therefore I am. Like, there's no proof that you're not a figment of my imagination. I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree that others others can influence your sense of self and in very profound ways sometimes. Um, but ultimately, another person, another entity can't define your sense of self. They can't define who you are wholly. I think, though that you could and you do have 
you know, you have your idea of Pat and and whatever identity or, you know, persona it is. Uh, and I think that that one, who knows how different it is from mine, mm-hmm. but I think that it's, I don't know if it exists, but it's certainly valid and it's certainly, it's what you interact with. But again, it's already filtered through your thinking. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You can have a you can have a fake pat in your brain if you want. But I just well, called it fake. So is it really fake? Who knows? Only to you, man. It's real to me. Let me ask you this, Ben. <laughs> it's 2.30 a.m. Chicago, Illinois. Mm-hmm. In condos and penthouse apartments across the city, cubs are asleep. And it's 2017 so anthony rizzo is asleep in chicago and javi baez is asleep in chicago kyle Hendricks, he's asleep in chicago hell uh ben zobris is asleep in chicago mm-hmm. well uh poor ben zobris yeah um <laughs> and you know maybe even uh wilson Contreras and uh tony la Russa puts on his burglar cap and his black clothes, like he always wears now. Yep. Just imagine Tony La Russa, but evil. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> and he's sneaking into these guys' apartments, and he's got a big burglar bag over his back, and he's sneaking and walking on his tiptoes, and he's silent. Oh, yeah. Tony La Russa's lithe form, sneaking around. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Just, just sort of, yeah, sort of stretching from shadow to shadow. Uh-huh. And uh, he, he gets to, to Javi's place, and he takes Javi's right arm. And then he goes to Kyle Hendricks. And, you know, Hendricks, they call him the professor, so he takes Hendricks' brain. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Rizzo's got that real solid kind of bottom half, so he takes Rizzo's trunk and legs. Uh-huh. And then he goes to Wrigley Field. And through the magic of 1908 and 2016 and... However uh, many years the Cubs have been in existence, he creates a new Cub, the Super Cub. Yep. It's a baseball player. It has parts of many Cubs. Is that a thing? Does it have an identity? Is it an entity? Man. Playing God. Tony La Russa. Classic. Playing God all the time, uh, building a uh, building a creature. I think there was a book written about this. Might have been something. Uh, and is it a thing? I think once it has consciousness, you have to. I think that's that. That's that spark that people you know everyone refers to it as a different different thing but like as soon as it becomes self-aware it's that that's what humans that's what we respond to right like that's what we we see ourselves in another creature once we can identify it is it too is self-aware and if it if this creature that he has assembled this uh franken cub uh if it becomes self-aware then it's 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 becomes it certainly becomes an entity worthy of compassion or at least of understanding. I don't know what its intentions are at this point, but uh Well let me ask you this. What if, you know, next day Javi and Rizzo and everybody wakes up, fucks mm-hmm. my arm. Man, where'd my trunk and powerful legs go? Mm-hmm. And they show up and they're super cub. Mm-hmm. And they tear that motherfucker limb from limb. Rip him apart and take back everything that he stole from them. Are they murderers? Maybe. But I think you, you're phrasing uh, everything that he stole from them. Frank and Cub didn't steal anything. Frank and Cub never asked to exist. So I think that's... It's tragic. You're right. You're right. I, I am very... Very sloppily assigning Tony LaRusso's blame to Frank and Cub. Mm-hmm. It, this is clearly Tony LaRusso's fault. Thank mm-hmm. you for bringing bringing us back to focusing on what's important. Mm-hmm. Fuck Tony LaRusso. Yeah, important important things to remember. 
Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think like it, it would be entirely tragic. And yes, I think technically they would be murderers. But, but like, but they would also be justified. And that is, and I don't think that our modern, I don't think that our uh, current law systems are, are prepared to handle certain such a thing. What if it were the case that Javi Baez was not going to survive more than 30 minutes without his arm? Ending the existence of Franken Cub is now a necessary condition for Javi Baez to stay alive. Can we impose that duty on Franken Cub? <sighs> No, I mean, you're, I mean, the, the same, the same was true last night. The same was true the night previous, like Frank and Cub's existence would not like Javi Baez did not owe his arm for the creation of Frank and Cub. Like you are not, you are not obligated to use your own body to, uh, service or to aid the life of someone else you are there is no obligation on you you may you may feel like you want to then that is your choice but it is not an obligation that the collective society can put on you that you are but what if ob- tony la Russa forces you into that situation he stole your lungs and he gave them to franken cub and you're going to suffocate in 30 seconds, if, if Anthony Rizzo doesn't bash in Franken Cub's face with a baseball bat, rip your lungs out of his chest and put them back into you. Man. Who gets to live? Franken Tro- Cub or Javi Baez? Tro- trolley problem. Um... Well, Ben, the reason I ask <laughs> is because in Adventure Time, the uh-huh. children's cartoon that we fairly frequently watch and talk about here on our podcast Podventure Time. Uh, Ice King, without, I'm sure, really considering the larger implications of what he's doing. What? We Ice find King? at the beginning of season four, episode nine, which is called Princess Monster Wife, that, uh, in fact, Ice King now has a wife. Yep. But where that, where that, where that wife come from? Uh, he, he has a wife because he, he Tony LaRusso'd himself a wife. He snuck into the, uh, he snuck into the homes of all of his favorite princesses and stole all of his favorite parts of those favorite princesses and, and Frankenwifed him, Frankenwife, Frankencubbed him a wife, built one, built it from scratch, breathe, breathe some sort of consciousness into this entity and he has a he has a wife that is now the stitched together physicality of um among others uh PB lumpy space princess zombie princess hot dog princess all your favorite princesses and they all wake all of those innocent princesses wake up to find that there are pieces missing from them and they are justifiably horrified and pissed and they they are alive we should we should note that this is not a situation probably where uh you know these these princesses are going to die if they don't get their parts back but uh you know you really only have to look at pb as her tongue lolls out of the side of her head to know that it is doing you know some damage some kind of unwanted consequences for the princesses whose parts have been stolen indeed uh they certain their lives are certainly affected uh they and they are they are upset and they they appeal they come to finn and jake for uh vengeance uh for not that they're seeking vengeance on finn and jake but they they come to finn and jake so that they can uh seek Seek a, seek out a, a solution and a uh, a restoration of their former selves. Yeah, something bad happened. We don't know what to do. Let's go get the heroes. Indeed, Finn and Jake and Finn and Jake say something bad happened and it involved princesses. We know where to go. <laughs> Straight to the Ice yes. King's palace. They head off for the Ice Kingdom, and Finn and Jake show up. They seem to just sort of bust in. No regard for the Fourth Amendment. And then they act like cops. They say, Ice King, we know you did it. 
Well, Ice King denies it, of course. But then they say, Jake says, we found your fingerprints at the crime scene. Mm-hmm. And Ice King kind of believes him. And then he says, well, why would you say that when he finds out that Jake is, in fact, lying? You know why Jake would say that? Because he's a cop and they <laughs> lie and they try to trick you into confessing. He was trying to manipulate Ice King into incriminating himself. Don't talk to cops, even if they're Finn and Jake. <laughs> now, in this case, it turns out Ice King did do. Ice King is the, uh, is the perpetrator. Uh, I'd still sue him for the Fourth Amendment violation at the very least. <laughs> uh, Ice King says, well... That's terrible, all these things that have happened to all these princesses. I'm glad it didn't happen to my princess. Oh, uh, what? Your princess? Yeah, let me, meet, let me introduce you to my wife. Takes sheet off of wife. Uh, <laughs> and reveals Franken, Franken wife. That is all the different princesses stitched together. Finn and Jake pass out in horror. And then we get the rest of the episode, which is creepy as hell and pretty yeah. funny, but is uh, Ice King in matrimonial bliss with his right. created, uh, fabricated wife. Fabricated uh, wife, fabricated reality. He's uh-huh. got sleeping Finn and Jake at the table uh-huh. as though they're their they're, they're children. They're limp, sleepy children. <laughs> I think he describes them as. <laughs> but you know what? We have to acknowledge that Ice King is is kind in these scenes. Yes. And, and he's cheerful. And, uh, it, you know, like they're, they're doing the dishes, right? It, it, Ice King doesn't strike me as the type of guy who, you know, you get done eating and Ice King says, oh, you know, stay there. I'll go take care of the kitchen. Right. But all of a sudden we see Ice King... You know, uh, he's he's explaining to Princess Monster Wife that if she washes and he dries, everything goes much more quickly. Sharing of household chores. Yeah, giving of gifts. He he uh, takes her on a wonderful journey through the Ice Kingdom. And he has he a, does an old fashioned TikTok duet with himself. Uh huh. He does. It's awesome. He sings a he sings a sweet song to her. But there, of course, is the entire time. Us as the outside observers is an undertone of creepy as fuck. Yeah, falseness. I guess is how I was going to describe <laughs> it. But yeah, and and it gets summed up. Uh, we could talk about we could talk about all of it in detail. But it, it for me it is summed up. Uh, it gets summed up in the moment when when the Franken princess. I don't know if we can we we should give her a different name, but. Uh, when Franken Princess, who is throughout the episode constantly seeking out some sort of sense of self, is constantly asking the question, "What am I? Am I am I a right. monster? What am I? Like what? Who am I? Really is what she's asking." And she says, "What am I?" And he's and and Ice Princess. I think she I, says, "Who am I?" I who? think she says, "Who?" Because I, I yeah. noticed this exact same moment. She says, "Who am I?" And, and then and Ice, Ice King, King says, like, the worst answer. You're my wife. You're definite. You are defined entirely in your relationship to me. Uh, that is all he bothered to figure out about this thing before he put it together. Yeah. Was that it's going to be his wife. And that's who he's being kind to. I think that's important. Like when you're noting he's being yes. kind, I, he's not being kind to another being. He's being kind to his idea of a wife and so he's being kind to himself to have its own identity yeah he's being kind to himself which is completely within character for him uh but i yeah and he the the crux of this episode as you opened with all of your interrogations of me uh and how i feel about the human condition Taking me right back to, uh, I think it was in in Angel Hall. I had my intro to philosophy class in in college. Yeah. All these profound questions make you feel smart when you're 20. (laughs) So he is, uh, this this entire construction, this fabrication is Ice King fabricating himself, his idea of a perfect family. And that is all he cares about. 
And that is all he is willing to entertain. I, I don't even think he's capable of entertaining anything outside of that. It's um, when his when his fabricated wife, when Franken Princess asks him direct questions, who am I? What am I? He isn't able to even conceive of her as something beyond his, just his. Right. And the trouble is, she seems to be able to do that. She right. calls, she refers to herself in the first person, looks in the in the mirror or the the, the water and and sees herself mm-hmm. uh, as this you know amalgamation of of princess parts. Yeah, and that is you know the the tension in the episode is we see Ice King finally, you know he he goes to he goes to great lengths really to to help his wife feel good when she's you know feeling bad about her appearance and her body. He sews her some clothes and forces the penguins to clap as she goes back and forth on the runway to build up her confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a legitimately, like, very thoughtful, nice thing that Ice King does. And he, you know, he goes out of his way to do this. But you're right. He's only doing it for himself. And, and I think if it were a robot, it would be one thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can make a, a robot and call it your robot, and that's all it is, mm-hmm. you know? But, you know, well, and then we can talk about whether droids are just slaves, but, you know, as soon as it becomes a living, sentient being, well, first, you have to, you know, respect it and, and do things for it. And also, it becomes completely unacceptable to Ice King. That this that his wife would have an identity outside of the one that he has created and assigned to her. Exactly. I mean, it's this is the storyline is something that writers, philosophers have been exploring in different versions. Frankenstein, Stepford Wives. I mean, all of those stories are right. essentially the same theme, and. I think we as a culture come down on the side that, yes, once once a being has uh, your innate sense of self is um, paramount. It cannot be assaulted. And any any uh, anything that would modify that sense of self or or um, attack it is is evil. And must and must or be contain stopped. or limit it. I would say right. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I I think that you know even if uh, his wife had never been able to escape, Ice King still would have been doing wrong by mm-hmm. ma- basically having you know a wife slash slave who can't leave mm-hmm. uh, when when she wants to. Yeah, and I wonder. I mean, I I I saw the all of his kindness, all the things that you noted, which are objectively kind things to do. Like helping someone feel better, the, the I, it, it the way the reason it feels off, the reason it reads as wrong to us is that it is, um, it's similar to it's a uh, it's not a it's Ice King not allowing his wife to have a full range of emotions and a full range of self, and like you said, you're li- it's limiting her. She's right. unhappy. And instead of engaging in the unhappiness, engaging in that feeling and saying, that's okay to feel unhappy, tell me about how you're feeling, he basically says, like, fix your face. <laughs> like, be happy. Like, Yeah, here, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Be happy. All you need to know is that I love you. Of course, And he uses the word love. He doesn't actually know what it means. He, he only has his definition of that word. Um, right, right. Yeah, and this is all about him feeling... Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that he believes is love, right? He he wants to get that you know he probably getting a solid dopamine hit from believing he's in love, and that's what he's after. Yep, 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 yep. He's in love with himself, and this is a reflection of his idea of what a marriage should be. So it is all good in Ice King's hood, as far as he's concerned. Um, and I think it's funny. Like I think it, uh, the way that the um, the uh, this episode was drawn and the or. Maybe just anim- the storyline unfolded and animated. I thought it was really cool that um, it wasn't that other any other basically any other creature that saw Monster Princess uh, Franken Princess any other creature that witnessed her 
ran in terror or like went insane. Like the penguins gnashed their teeth and were like trying to knock themselves out. The fashion show collapses when one of the Uh penguins projectile vomits. Yeah. As a result of of looking at at Frank and wife for too long. Right. And Finn and Jake can't can't remain conscious while looking her at, at her directly. Not even in the mirror. Right. It, so it is um it's so extreme. It's so funny the way that they wrote this where like it, it's so um stark the difference that they've that they've established where Ice King is so wrapped up in his own version of what's going on that all of these signs from outside uh, that are so extreme. It's not just that people are kind of like weirded out. They are right. Outright horrified. Uh, yeah. Nobody that, is like whispering and elbowing each other. Like, Oh, I don't think I like this new girl that, that ice uh-huh. King brought over. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's kind of an emergency situation. <laughs> yep. Uh, it is, it's fantastic. And like, it is, um, it's all of those, it's all of those classic tales rolled up in a little ice King <laughs> package. Uh, or f- flavored with Ice, Cre- Ice King's uh, unique sense of narcissism. What a really cool episode. I really liked it. Um, I was trying to think about some of my favorite parts, but I mean, what, what we, ha- we should talk about how it concludes, which is the only way it could conclude, which is, well, it, the only way it could conclude satisfactorily is Monster Princess is actually given the opportunity uh or takes the opportunity to to act on her own accord she she yeah, she, she makes her out, own choice yeah he he eventually kind of explains to her who or what she is uh because you know she's looking at herself and seeing a franken mess uh and and ice king again being fairly kind in his own way mm-hmm. <laughs> Is sliding photographs of princesses under the door and being like, "Here, you have uh, Princess Bubblegum's face, and I think he said you have Princess Elbow's hips." <laughs> <laughs> Which, and and his point is like, you have all of the most beautiful parts of all my favorite princesses, and and I put them together to make you. But Frankenwife thinks. I'm just a collection of stolen parts. Mm-hmm. And so when Frankenwife finally actually has useful information about her identity, it more or less serves to cause her to commit suicide. Yep. She decides that her existence is now no longer worth carrying on for whatever reason. I don't know whether it's I can't stand being ice king's frankenwife or whether it's i want to do the right thing and give body parts back to princesses well i think it's a it's a self-preservation i think it's she decides she decides that there is like i think just like we were discussing at the beginning that there is an entity now that exists somewhere in this universe that is monster realm right and the only way that she this entity can fully exist and fully be happy is to shed herself, shed the collection of parts that she was and, and evolve beyond it. And if she can, then like, I think it's a, she decides, uh, I think she has a, um, a moment with, with ice King where she says, you would still love me even if I didn't have all these parts. And he says, yes. And she then determines okay then i have to put that to the test i need she's like it seems like the only way she can love herself as well is if she rids herself of these parts and so uh and then whatever she is after that whether it exists or not whether like whatever that is um that is who monster princess is now that is who franken princesses will be uh and and i i thought it was a cool ending she uh she Tony LaRusses back into the rooms of all of the other princesses and returns the parts that she stole. Sometimes correctly, other times she messes up. Uh, I think she gives. But we figure the princesses probably know how to put themselves back together. They'll okay. sort it out. They'll sort it out. Yeah. Uh, but she gives the parts back and then uh, sort of 
symbolically, the cloak she was wearing sort of floats back to Ice King's fortress. And then we hear her voice in the ether say, uh, although my parts may be gone, I will always be your wife. And so somewhere out there, there's this inkling that I, in my head, that like the way I read it is like, there is some version of her out there that no longer has a physical form, but is happier and exists in some way, I guess. You, uh, uh, you think she actually said that in the world? Cause Ice King does not act like he heard her. <laughs> uh, she may not. I think she exists somewhere in the universe. I don't know if she exists in a in a version of the universe that Ice King can perceive, and maybe that's and maybe that's symbolic too. That like Ice King is incapable of perceiving that kind of entity, someone right. that is apart from person. him. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's um, he is un uh, unfazed by her phrase, and and I don't know if Finn and Jake heard it either, but we the audience did. Yeah, and I, so I think that is I take that to mean somewhere out there, she is in a better place. I guess that's the phrase people use. Sure, sure. And then our our old sociopathic friend Ice King reminds us of just who he is and just what he thought of his wife when the cloak comes romantically fluttering back through his window and he's holding it in his arms and she says, "I will always be your wife," and Ice King looks at the cloak and he looks up at Finn and Jake and his eyes are watering and he says she she took all my stuff <laughs> and that's the last line in the episode so Ice King has now by the time that he doesn't have to worry about the wife anymore reduced her to just a pile of stuff mm-hmm. the truth the truth comes out she was always a pile of stuff to him she was always a, const- a construct Oh, here's a question. To him. She took all my stuff. Whose stuff is it? Oh, I mean... Is it hers? Is it the princess's? It's not Ice King's. We all know that. Fuck Ice King. I'm saying right. the F word a lot in this episode. Oh, we're really going to get that E rating for this one. Um, whose stuff is it? I think it's the princesses, the original princesses. It's their, it's their parts. The... Frank and Princess never felt ownership of those parts. She never asserted ownership. It was always, and that was part of her crisis, was that she knew it. Internally, somehow, she knew this is not her. Like, this body, this physicality she's inhabiting is not her. Right. And she must shed that physicality to become her, become truly herself. So I think... uh I think that is the the implication is that the 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 matter the piles of parts belong to their original owners. There's something beyond the physical realm that that is Frankenwife. Mhm. It's a very cool episode. I mean, it's I liked it. I liked it a lot. I laughed a lot too. I mean, it is it is pure ice like it is taking Ice King's narcissism and self-absorption and just like what if we just let it run wild? Like this is right. just like this is peak Ice King, and it's hilarious. It's creepy oh, as it's hell. But it was funny. And so uh, our our next episode, I guess we can move right on. We're we're creating creatures in in the next episode. Oh man, uh, yeah, we're playing God all over the place. Episode ten is called Goliad. Goliad is. Uh, another powerful being in the land of Ooh playing God. And this time a traditionally more benevolent being, although she certainly isn't always benevolent. Um, PB's got her own agenda. Yeah. Princess. And that is certainly something worth discussing here. She also Uh, has control issues. I, I think what she's doing here is trying to maintain control of the candy kingdom from beyond the grave. Mm hmm. Princess bubblegum creates a candy sphinx which i love as an, a monster as like a being I, that's such a cool idea the candy sphinx really cool but it is a um as she as she intros in the beginning of the episode and is, is sort of walking finn and jake through her process she explains that just as you said she realizes her own mortality 
She realizes her own mortality because of her run-in with the Lich. I thought that was a cool callback yeah. to the Lich, reminding reminding us that the Lich is still out there. A second reminder after we saw the uh, the Lich snail a few episodes of back. She's she has been reminded of her mortality, and she says modern science has not yet uh, reached the point where she can live forever, which I think is really telling because she's like complaining about the Lich, whose whole deal is that he used his magic powers to live forever. Yeah, and became I didn't an even connect that. Yeah, and became she an says, abomination. I would if I could. I would if I could. There is she's 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 seen a way to do it. It's just abominable. So at least she's not there yet. Uh, but she decides, well, since I can't be there, I should leave someone in my stead, which that's pretty standard, you know, like royalty, like lineage, royal lineage kind of stuff. Like I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave my sire in my stead and my, my, but she, she's taking it. Typically they do that by screwing their cousins and not genetically engineering sphinxes. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a different approach. So uh, she essentially builds a new creature using her own DNA, a powerful, a powerful being. Extremely powerful. And it is, but it is a baby. It's new. It's brand new as of today, as of the day we enter this episode. And it must be taught how to rule the kingdom. It must be taught how to rule it properly. And I think you're right. Like these control issues, like, all wrapped up. It needs to be taught how to rule the way Princess Bubblegum would rule. Uh, right. And so there is a um, already an implied definition of this being, similar to Ice King, um, that this being must exist in the way that Princess Bubblegum intended. I think is there. There's an implication under underlying all of this that is uh, is just as wrong as Ice King's. Intent. Right. Yeah. You know, you were you were created for leadership. And so we're going to send you to the leadership academy right mm-hmm. away. And, you know, maybe you want to be a baseball player. Too bad. Right. Yep. But but Princess Bubblegum's super tired. She's been up for 80 hours or something creating this uh, creating this thing. And she, she is too just exhausted. should have had Goliad take a nap when she took a nap. That's how you do it. Sleep when the baby sleeps. You gotta, that's how this roll, that's how this works. Don't turn it over to your 13 or 14 year old friend and his talking dog. Because <laughs> Finn and Jake don't know how to rule kingdoms. And what I think is interesting is that Finn and Jake are supposed to be teaching, but I think all they know how to do is train. Because Finn's immediate plan to teach Goliath how to rule, he's like, okay, I'll go set up the obstacle course. You guys hang out yep. here. I'll go do the obstacle course that we obviously have to have for teaching anyone mm-hmm. anything. Yep. Physical training is how is that's that's all you need. He's got the process in which you learn something, but he does not have the vision for what you need to learn. Yeah, so Finn and Jake are charged with teaching Goliad for the day and, and so with some pretty lofty concepts, how to properly rule, um, how to properly govern. I suppose, but rule, I think is probably a more appropriate word. Um, Destroy evil. Are you a Brandon Sanderson fan? Mm, no. Oh, I, 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 I don't know of Brandon Sanderson. That's what I should I say. I bring it up because he has a character in his universe called Nightblood. It's a sentient sword. And mm. it was brought to life with a single command, which is destroy evil. And I think that you run into problems when you create something that is capable of not just following commands, but interpreting them because Mm -hmm. destroy evil can mean a lot of things and rule the kingdom can mean a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So you're not just going to have inputs into Goliad and expect the proper outputs. You have to consider what those inputs are going to be. And you shouldn't empower Finn and Jake to have inputs. (laughs) Um, Finn and Jake take Goliad, who is uh, a child, mentally, uh, emotionally, probably is the best way to explain. Um, takes the takes Goliad to a preschool, the Candy Kingdom preschool, which is a wild place. Yeah, it man. is full full of rambunctious kids, rambunctious candy kids. 
when they when they just start crawling inside of Jake's skin and they're like, get his brain. <laughs> it is uh, that is how kids are, especially at that age. Uh, they just attack your brain. Yeah, it's hilarious. They um, in this the, in the Candy Kingdom preschool, it's just all insane toddlers and with no supervision. It's just madness. Just just a madhouse. Lord of the Flies. And it's here that Goliad gets her first lesson in leadership. And it's from Jake. And it's a bit of a misstep because uh, Jake is ill-prepared to handle these children and who are crawling inside of him. And he blows his top. And he... Uh, he yells at the kids, and he certainly gets them in line through fear. It works. He gets them to understand fear, and they obey. And that is what Goliad learns from Jake, that when you make someone afraid of you, they fear you, and they will obey you. And he becomes a big scary dog and barks at them. That's how he does it. And that's mistake one. And Goliad's a super smart being, and runs with that essentially um because and and so i think at this point goliad has interpreted rule the kingdom as make the candy people do what they ought to do or what they should do or what you want them to do Mm -hmm. and and finn kind of gets into you know let's talk about what leadership is but goliad isn't interested in leadership or at least doesn't Mm -hmm. understand what leadership really is it's just interested in accomplishing what she wants with the people underneath her mm-hmm. well i mean i think it's like emotionally goliad's a child who you know right. to use to use uh outdated like you know freudian sort of phrases like she's all ego right like she's yeah. all she just it's just right now all she's capable of understanding is what she wants and so she's and all interpreting she's been told to look mm-hmm. at the world is rule it's right. like you know destroy evil rule the kingdom Mm-hmm. That's all she. That's the only guidance that that she has until she gets set loose with Finn and Jake, which I right. just keep coming back to as such a mistake. <laughs> um, she then applies those learnings to rule the preschool and get them to do what she wants, and she mimics Jake. She becomes a big angry sphinx and barks at them and shouts at them, and they do what she wants. Um, and Finn is horrified because, and Finn realizes, no, that's not right. You need to understand, you need to, it is not about showing off your physicality or your strength uh, in order to make people afraid of you. He, The way he phrases it is you need to use your brain, your big, beautiful brain. Right. Quite open to interpretation, I suppose, when one has telekinetic powers. Again, uh, an input from Finn is open to interpretation from Goliad and what Finn does not anticipate is that Goliad has a third eye that has telekinetic telekinetic and also mind reading powers telepathic yeah telekinetic telepathic Jean Grey and Professor X yeah she goes full dark phoenix on him essentially and moves Finn with her, with her mind through the obstacle course that he has created and just Very quickly. barrels, barrels Very efficiently. and through. Yep. No regard for his bodily harm. And Finn is terrified and says, no, that's not what I meant. And she says, no, but it may not have been what you meant, but it's the perfect way. Like you did you everything. You did the obstacle course, didn't you? You did it perfectly with no mistakes, calmly. Everything worked. And Finn, uh, Finn goes like, no, you can't. Actually, is that right? Like, all of a sudden, he's <laughs> he's like, wait, is she right? Um, but to, to, a, to a being of her power, it doesn't make sense to her to take into, the, take into account the needs of others at right. this point. If you're teaching she her to too, rule before you're teaching her benevolence, uh-huh. this is how she's going to behave. Right. So, Finn and Jake pull the ripcord. Uh, sound the alarm yeah they sound the alarm they run back to pb and she immediately understands the problem uh says oh yep i was afraid this exact thing would happen but i still let you run off with the fucking candy sphinx right i think it's telling though right because we have to remember 
The Candy Sphinx was created using PB's DNA. So in a sense, she she is a, a reflection of PB. So right. I wonder I wonder if I mean I think PB is like sometimes not very self aware, and PB can be. Uh, her darker, justify the means. I think yeah, just like Goliath, darker, right? Finn made it exactly. through the obstacle course. The candy people are safe, no matter how that happens. It's done. Yep, that is it, and that and that is her darker side. That is her darker tendency, and is being magnified in Goliath. It is being allowed to run rampant. So, like, I saw a lot of parallels in these two episodes, and we'll we'll keep talking about this second one. But just like this, I thought I found it. I just found it very cool that episode uh, one, Monster Wife, was essentially taking all of Ice King's worst tendencies and just going like, what would happen if we just let them run rampant? Right. And exploring that. And this is what if we took PB's darkest tendencies and let them run rampant, essentially. So very cool dual episode package here. But we do have to solve the, the problem of the Candy Sphinx. We have to solve a How do you solve a problem like Goliad? Who we need to be clear, basically has a plan now to just take over the Candy Kingdom and bodily force everyone to do what she wants them mm-hmm. to do. Oh, yeah. She's, she's now assumed a throne. She has now usurped PB even. She said, like, I don't, have a, I don't even have a need for you, my own creator, at this right. point. Um, and so they realized she needs to be stopped. Uh, and PB is the only one who can do it. And she has a plan, but needs some time. And so Finn and Jake need to buy her some time. And so Finn and Jake, that that's right up their alley. Take some action, basically. <laughs> like, right. Uh, so they, they head into the fray. Don't get very far. But um, the other point that PB makes is don't let... Goliad know what the plan is. Don't think about the plan <laughs> because Goliad can read your mind. So you need to distract her without revealing the plan. And we, it, Jake is the first to attack. Uh, he tries. He tries to. He tries the same tactic he did with the kids: get big, get scary. And Goliad has seen this before, though is not phased, and <laughs> telekinetically fills Jake with about a hundred candy people <laughs> who. <laughs> Forcibly, force feeds him about a hundred candy people. Uh, That's the hardest and, I laughed was at the end when when Jake is like coughing up the candy people in the middle yep. of his sentence. <laughs> yep. So he's taken so, out quickly. Yeah, Jake is neutralized by being filled up with peppermint butler and hundreds yeah. of other candy people. Yep. Uh, and then Finn takes a Finn. Finn tries the uh, the negotiation approach, or the the you know you can't do this. But but Goliad attacks Finn's mind, uh, trying to telepathically glean what is the plan, what are, what is he, what is uh, what is happening. And to his credit, Finn has some strong anti telepathic abilities. I mean, he struggles, but he certainly fights back. Uh, yeah. He's not. He's not without his own defenses. I think that Finn's particular brain probably is uniquely suited to have these defenses. So uh, I'm I'm 38 years old and I just uh, like a few weeks ago got diagnosed with ADHD. And so I'm seeing the world through ADHD eyes these days. And uh-huh. as Finn is trying not to think about what the plan is and he's like, you know, turning PB's head into a dolphin mentally, and he he uh, mm-hmm. thinks about himself doing his little baby dance, uh-huh. like that ability to switch from topic to topic in your brain. I think you know. I don't know if Finn has ADHD. He very well might, and if he uh-huh. does, I think that it actually helped him here because it was easy or even required for him just to flip from thought to thought without being able. Uh, or without thinking about the plan to give it away to Goliath. Uh-huh. Yeah, I this was where I laughed the most. Like his whole progression of how does he think of how does he continually obfuscate in his mind the image of the image of PB saying to him, here's the plan. Right. <laughs> and how does he how does he avoid it? And man, when uh <laughs> to go from dolphin head to then uh <laughs> him as a baby doing his <laughs> dance and oh god it's so good 
uh, I'm a buff baby, I can dance like a man, is one of the best <laughs> lines ever written in television. Um, but he does. He does just enough. He does just enough to not reveal the plan because finally, in the last moments, Goliad is distracted because PB is back and says, I have, you know, Goliad, you need to stop. And standing next to standing next to her is another candy sphinx. This one, more of a candy griffin, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Head of an eagle, body of a lion. And the candy, Goliad and this new beast instantly engage in battle. And Goliad is, Goliad recognizes this kin, kindred beast as a brother and says, brother, we don't need to fight. We could rule together. And the the candy beast, uh, the candy griffin just squawks back at him. But Goliad understands it as a denial of that request and says, Yeah, not listening, not interested. Therefore, we must fight. And they engage and become locked in an eternal psychic battle. Because they are perfectly evenly matched. Right. And so they will neither of them will gain ground and they will just be they they've both been neutralized by each other's power which is very cool which is a very cool metaphor and i think we should all just also discuss the larger metaphor which is we learn that the other beast which i believe is called stormo yes uh stormo this new beast the candy griffin was created in the same fashion as goliad but used finn's dna Finn's as opposed heroic to, DNA. Correct. In order to be, uh, in order to, to come to life. And I think it's very interesting that the, the metaphor of a fin, of, of, of a, of a monster created from Finn's DNA balancing a monster created from PB's DNA. I think that's a very cool metaphor or allegory yeah. they've set up. I don't yeah, know, and, I don't know, you know which one you it wouldn't, is, a metaphor or an allegory. Yeah, you wouldn't immediately think who is the opposite of Finn, it's PB. And I wouldn't say that, you know, so Finn has hero's DNA. And so what, what you naturally would think cancels out a hero's DNA is villain DNA, right? But I don't think mm-hmm. that it's villain DNA in Goliad. I don't know what I think it is, and I don't I know ca- how it being... The, I, I'm trying to figure out how it's the opposite of heroic. Well, I think it's it, it feels to me as selflessness canceling out selfishness. Oh, okay. Yeah. In a sense, like both PB and Finn have similar uh, goals yes. in the sense of like taking care of others, taking care of their those who they are charged to take care of. Yes, general peace and well-being. I think Finn and PB could agree on as, uh, as, mm-hmm. as the goals that they are working toward. Right. Whereas PB is like, as you've said before, like the ends justify the means, and they will be they will be safe in the way that PB, uh, be, you know, like P- PB will define the define the con- the rules under which everyone will be safe. Like right. she will control that safety selfishly. will be near absolute, but there will mm-hmm. be no no freedom. Correct. Whereas Finn, Finn is reactive. Like he is not right. proactive. So Finn reacts to problems and will fix the problems, but will not prescribe future solutions for how to like prevent the problems in the future. He will, he is only there to selflessly throw himself in front of danger when it, when it arrives. He is not there to prescribe a system for how to, how to exist in the interim. Right. So I think it's, he he exists completely on a on a realm of of reactive selflessness, whereas PB rea- lives in a realm or lives on a wavelength of proactive prevention of but but it's but as a controlling right uh, prevention. So uh, that's how they're opposite in my mind, or that's that, that's the metaphor I read in yeah. this is that yeah, which is very cool, and I hadn't thought of their characters that way, especially because of like the the you know, the romantic. Right. entanglements of their characters in the past and pb they never they never seemed equal in that sense because finn yeah. always finn always felt lesser than pb in a lot of ways yeah but then again but they've th- never battled right and, and and pb doesn't really think 
except in a couple instances. PB does like tend to PB tend to tends to treat Finn as an equal in terms of like like she he's her number one advisor slash like yeah yeah I think outside of his little schoolboy crush right she sees him as an equal but it's very like pat him on the head about the the whole uh, right I like you thing right so. It, it changed how I thought about their relationship. This this uh, the allegory of of Stormo versus Goliad. Yeah, that's great. But wow, what a couple of of cool episodes! Frankly, I'm glad we watched them together. I'm glad yeah. we watched them in, in as a pair. Yeah, these they, were two that definitely worked very well together. Yeah, made me really think about existence as a as a whole. Actually, you made me think about that. <laughs> I, I didn't think about that while I was watching the episodes. All I was thinking about was playing, you know, narcissism and, and uh, the uh, the consequences of playing God. I went back to my uh, my big my big question asking in college days as well when I wrote down that <laughs> Goliad sort of lays out her political theory, which is I'm completely in charge and therefore everything that should happen happens. And I was like, oh, that's Hobbes. That's the Leviathan. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think you've mentioned this before. Like the the um, PB or Goliad, I think maybe exemplifies it. But like the myth of the the myth of the perfect ruler kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, like that's Goliad basically just like smashed that wide open. Like whatever you thought of PB before, Goliad's existence proves that like she is no perfect ruler. Right. Uh, and and there probably cannot be a perfect ruler. In, right. In the and sense. so to the extent yeah. that, yes, if there were a, a sovereign that uh-huh. was all powerful and all knowing and could ensure that everything happened in the best possible way, sure, that's a great form of government, but that person doesn't exist. And so yeah. you can't have someone with complete control over all of the yeah. people, the candy people, the candy sphinxes, magic talking dogs, Neptune. Right. Bimo. Neptune is interesting too. Neptune is worth talking yeah. about. I mean, like Neptune's worth. You you brought up uh, droids earlier, and we don't have to dive into it. But as soon as you started Similar talking about droids, to what created Frankenwife, uh, uh-huh. Ice King instilling life and sentience into something. Uh huh. Um. The obligations, the obligations that come with creation, that come with parenthood, I suppose, in the most simple sense of this idea, yes. are vast. And, and, and not just the obligations, I think, but, uh, well, except insofar as I, I would say like one overriding obligation is to allow your child to be their own being. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest thing. It's the hardest part of parenthood. It's the hardest part of childhood too, of like starting out as essentially a, DNA replica of sorts of another being, but then that, you know, the parent allowing the new being to become their own and also the, the child learning how to do that in a way that feels good to them. Those are both really hard. And, yeah. uh, no one was really, no one was really applying those lessons in these episodes. No, it was not thoughtful parenting that was happening. No. Uh, in fact, Ice King tried to marry his creation. A lot of things went wrong. A yeah. lot of a lot of missteps. They really <laughs> Tony LaRusso the whole thing. Um but uh I highly recommend these two episodes particularly for those uh, if you haven't watched them and you're listening along, uh, I have I highly recommend them. They're both hilarious in their own way, make you yes. think. And I'm looking forward to more. I I appreciated the little nod to the to the lich. I'm ex- I'm excited to see what more may come of that lich storyline too. I I know that He's still out there. Yeah, we we've done some world building lately, mm-hmm. uh, and we're we're reminded of of the lich existing in the world, uh, and and I think the world is going to keep growing, and we're going to keep interacting with it. And if I had to, th- yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say I was gonna say if I had to think about like overarching themes for season four of Adventure uh, Adventure Time, parenthood is a big one. Yeah, this yeah, we've got Hunson and. Parenthood and relationships and serving as a as a role model like Finn. Uh, Finn doesn't really teach the the bear. The bear just sort of impersonates him. But uh, it is another mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. of like someone or something 
learning and and becoming a different mm-hmm. someone or something. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if the writers room at the beginning of season 4 if they have a big board of high ideas, high high concepts that they want to explore. Yeah. Might could. Anyway, we'll uh, figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll see what comes next. We uh we will keep watching Adventure Time. And we will keep talking about it on our podcast, which is called Podventure Time. But until such time, as we jump back into the world of Ooh, I've been Pat. And I've been Ben. And this has been Podventure Time. I can't find the thing I wrote down. (laughs) There it is. I'm Don Juan Cherry Tempo! I had to look that up because I couldn't really understand what they were saying. But it's Don Juan Cherry Tempo. (laughs) 